Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, draft previews are upon us. The NFL is coming to Nickelodeon, and I can't wait for Dora the Explorer to help kids pronounce concusión. And with me this week to tell us how much ketchup he puts in his coffee, it's David Newman. Uh, like a dollop? There's a, like a dollop of ketchup on there. Just, you know, a little this, bit. This is ridiculous. I got, I got bamboozled. I was fooled on April Fool's, the day where I used to fool everyone. And now, you know, it came back around. I was, on, I was browsing the Reddits, browsing our coffee, as, as we are wont to do, as, uh, you know, now fully exploring the Daddington Corner. And I see <laughs> this picture, and it's like, okay, coffee? I know sometimes you put a little salt in coffee, and it, I, it, it totally had me. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's April Fool's. This is not a thing. Uh, and I sent it to you, uh, and you were like, yeah, ketchup, coffee, cool. The worst fucking day of the year. It's the worst. <laughs> it's just an excuse to be an asshole is really, really what is. April Fool's. I do feel like the April Fool's jokes were tamped down a little bit this year because of the state of the, the world. Uh, yeah. But th- there were still a couple that I thought were pretty good. Uh, that chief among them, because really, it hurt no one. Uh, it really just... It hurt the coffee beans of the person who put the ketchup on the coffee beans for that picture. But that was that was about it. That was about it. Um, but we are not going to escape April Fool's without a special April Fool's edition of the rundown. So before we get to the wide receivers preview, which we're going to go uh, crazy with some wide receivers, because this is the exciting part. This is the part where it's like, yay, we get to have potentially one of these amazing players uh, and we get to watch them. And it was a whole hell of a lot of fun. But before we get to that, there was some news this week. So setup is pretty simple. I'm going to give you uh, basically a statement. You're going to tell me whether it's April Fool's or whether it's true. uh, And I'll let you know whether or not you're right. So, David, first things first. The 49ers never offered Emmanuel Sanders a deal during free agency. April Fool's or reals? Real. Uh, That is false. The Niners were one of the finalists with the Green Bay Packers and the Saints. And then eventually Emmanuel Sanders said... Uh, they're probably paying me a little bit more money. And also, Drew Brees, uh, he signed a two-year deal, so I'm going to sign a two-year deal. I didn't have the heart to tell him that uh, Drew Brees isn't seeing the second part of that deal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, who knows if he will either. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, next up, the 49ers extended Mike Person at the veteran minimum for one more year. Run him back. Oh, this is what I get for not paying attention to the internet. Uh, April Fool's. Uh, that is correct. It is indeed April Fool's. They released him. They cut him. That's right. I knew something happened with him. Yep. All right. Next up, the 49ers are looking to add Jordan Reed to ease the load on George Kittle and have reached out to Jordan Reed's agent. April Fool's. Fucking better. That, be. that is true. God damn it. That, that is 100% true. The 49ers are indeed looking to add Jordan Reed as a, a low-risk uh, well, low risk for the 49ers, high risk for Jordan Reed's brain uh, option as as something to, to help out with the, the George Kittle thing because he plays a lot of snaps and the Niners want that to not be the case. Yeah, sure. That's uh, not maybe where I would look, but whatever. All right. April Fool's or not, $2 million of Tevin Coleman's $4.5 million salary is now guaranteed today on all days, April Fool's Day. Uh, I feel like that's legit. April 1st is usually uh, a, a thing for Niners contracts to it is indeed true to kick in. So it is true, uh, but it is guaranteed only for injury. 
So he can still be released and the Niners don't have any dead money because it's only guaranteed for injury. Two more, David, for you. One, Mike Sando. He got executives unfiltered view on each team's offseason. There's a great article in The Athletic. It's, it's fantastic read if you want to really dive deep. Uh, but in the 49ers section, according to this executive, quote, when the 49ers end up with the next Duran Payne, the 13th pick won't look like such a valuable asset. Duran Payne? Is, is that the, this executive's view of the Niners offseason or not? Uh, no, I'm going to say no. Yeah, that's false. Uh, yeah. the, <laughs> they said it was a pretty even trade, and they could see like they felt like it was a trade that benefited both sides. Niners won, Colts won, made a ton of sense for both for both sides. So, look, uh, as scary as it might be, them taking a running back in that spot uh, wouldn't be the most surprising thing. Uh, are we talking about the same player, Deron Payne of the Washington Redskins defensive tackle? Oh shit! Who am I? Th- I'm thinking. Of, is it just straight Ron Payne or Dane, Ron Dane? Wow, getting all there, sorts. There of is a Ron stuff. Dane. I do remember Ron, Ron Dane, Dane of Wisconsin, right? That's the one that I'm thinking of. Yeah. Oh okay. man, I thought I had early Disregard onset Alzheimer's. That's yeah. <laughs> I haven't even started See, drinking yet tonight, so that's where we're going. I feel like I feel like this would have been a lot more effective if you would have understood that that was a mediocre three technique. Because I mean, I do, I do now. I just like got him. I know who Deron Payne is now that I got my my stuff straight. Uh, <laughs> no, I know, but I feel like the joke just would have hit harder. I want you to appreciate my jokes, David. I really oh do. Oh my god, I always um, appreciate your jokes. Yeah. Incidentally, which whiskey did you end up getting? We decided to, to sip on whiskey tonight, ladies and gents. Uh, what what'd you end up getting? Yeah, largely because I am uh, completely out of beer, except for like a double IPA that I wasn't quite ready to dip into for tonight. Uh, so I am instead sipping on some Eagle Rare bourbon. Ah, uh, yes. Love that. You had to special order that shit on the internet because you can't find it anywhere Because <laughs> nobody fucking has it here. I know. I know. I ended up with the uh, Balvini 12. It's my go-to. Uh, the Double nice. Wood. I love this whiskey so much. It's so good. Um, all right. Last one. The 49ers released their draft hat. Of course, the hat they're virtually going to hand out at this draft party. Uh, <laughs> I hope that it's virtual. Um, I was texting a friend and I said, you know, they, they can do this all virtually, but will they? Um, who knows? We'll see. Uh, but the, the design, I don't know if you've seen it, but if you haven't, we no. should take a moment for you to see it. Uh, let, let's do that. Let's do the magic of editing. We're going to take just a, a brief sec and have David take a look at this hat. All right, David. So now you've seen the hat through the magic of the internet. You've now seen this. You've put eyes on it. Accurate. The, the hat was inspired by John Mayer's 2003 hit song, Neon. April Fool's or not? Dear God, that better be April Fool's. I need, you to, I need, you, I need to pin you down here. What's your answer? Uh, maybe it's that ridiculous that that's legit. Uh, let's go with legit. April Fool's. While John Mayer oh. did indeed have oh. a song called Ooh. Neon, uh, I don't know that you could argue that it was a hit. Uh, and, <laughs> and while the hat does look like it should have been inspired by something as crappy as a John Mayer song, uh, it, it unfortunately was not. I feel, I feel like, much better. I feel like the draft hats are alternating good-bad in terms of their quality. Uh, last year's draft hat was super awesome. I really enjoyed it. This yeah. hat looks like it like it was basically a light bright gone wrong it's just not it's not good <laughs> yeah no good. no thanks i'm gonna i'm gonna pass on this one all right that's uh april fools not april fools hope you enjoyed it let's get to the draft preview because let's talk wide receivers i'm super excited 
wide receivers. Let's get them. This is a historically good wide receiver class. Daniel Jeremiah says it's the deepest group of receivers he's ever evaluated. And he's been evaluating wide receivers since like 1934. So it's a long time. A long time. Wow. Um, Shots. Shots at Daniel (laughs) Jeremiah. Not even that old. No, he's not. He's one of the younger guys. That probably would have made more sense if it were like Mel Kuyper or someone. Uh, But but we're going to frame the discussion by looking at the options for the 49ers and trying to find the best fit or players that we think will succeed on the 49ers. Of course, we've talked a lot about the Shanahan profile for four wide receivers. He loves wide receivers that separate, loves the ability to run after the catch, which makes a ton of sense when he gets the ball to receivers in space. He wants them to be able to do something with it. And jump ball vertical threats are typically not his thing. Uh, you need that skill if you're typically not separating enough. Uh, and so we're not going to cover players that are largely in that bucket. This is going to include players like T. Higgins. Um, but Overall, the discussion is really going to hinge on what the Niners could do at 13 with the top three wide receivers. And then if they don't go with the wide receiver at 13, what they could do if they maybe trade down a little bit or get a wide receiver at the bottom of the first round. So first up, turns out hope might be a strategy after all. Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb. Let's talk about those two guys. Let's start with Jerry Judy. Why is he scintillatingly amazing? Judy, man, he he's the guy that I think has been pretty much at the top of the draft board is in terms of receivers since even before the season. Right. So this isn't a uh, definitely not a case. Like if you don't watch a ton of college football, this isn't somebody that was like a late riser that just kind of popped up on the radar over this past year. Like uh, he was excellent, maybe even better in 2018, um, put together another very good year in 2019. Um, and I think is is somebody that. Uh, a lot of people really like as, you know, maybe even like I, I, I know Renner for us at PFF has him as like a, a top five guy in this entire draft class. And so I think when you're looking at that caliber of player, um, you're usually looking at a guy with, you know, a bunch of strengths and, and not a whole lot of weaknesses there. But I think the starting place for me with Judy and, and kind of what he does well and where he wins is it really comes down to his route running and his ability to separate. When you look at his ability to separate on tape, it's it's really good. He looks every part uh, of an NFL receiver already, and he's in college. A lot of that has to do with his athleticism and his change of direction skills. He ran a 10-yard split, so basically the, the first 10 yards of his 40, in the 99th percentile, which means he can eat up space off the line really, really quickly. And it just his athleticism shows on tape. He's got f- the, the fluid hips, right? The thing that you hear in, in, in scouting talk and... He's able to make moves and set people up as a result of that in a way where he doesn't waste much, much energy getting in and out of his break or in and out of his cuts. And, and that means that basically he can do what he wants to defenders. And there's a lot of poor defenders in college that are, are going to be looking one way while Judy's going the other. Um, and it starts with his athleticism, but it ends with his technique that's already pretty refined for someone in college. Yeah, and I think, you know, he really... It's it's kind of weird describing his movement. Like I don't know if if like sudden's the right word. He's just like very angular in his routes, right? It's it's a yeah. lot of very sharp, um, decisive cuts, right? It's not necessarily um, this like super fluid movement, right? Where it's just kind of it looks like all one continuous motion. Like he very much is is looking to you know really throw guys off with these like 
sharp, sudden movements that you get in his routes. It's something that he does after the catch as well. Like it basically, when you look at his ability after the catch, it all is kind of like based on this stutter that he looks like this little hesitation move. And then he's either going to just explode and, and continue running straight off of that, or he's going to like throw this dead leg out there and, and just cut and plant upfield. Um, and that's basically his go-to moves, you know, when you look at what he does after the catch. But I think his route running, there's a lot of similar type of movement in there. That, that jab step that you talked about, he hit it over and over and over again after the catch on film. The, the fir- I think the first snap we saw of him, he hit that, and both of us were like, oh, God, poor defender. Uh, and then he did it again against Grant Delpit, uh, LSU. And, and Delpit is, you know, potentially a first-rounder, um, but one of the best safeties in this class, uh, and he fell victim to Jerry Judy after the catch as well. Um, this is, I think, important for me because when you look at the Shanahan route tree, this is a player that can you can imagine him fitting in to Shanahan's offense immediately. Shanahan has a lot of stems that look very similar but end up different. One example of this is the spread route. It looks like a shallow cross, and then after about four to six yards, the receiver breaks down and explodes back out the other way. So you've got linebackers, you've got maybe a corner thinking, oh, I'm, I'm seeing this, it's going to be uh, a shallow cross, and then boom, the receiver's running the other way. That takes a lot of ability, change of direction, and explosion coming out of a cut. And Judy's hitting this route in college really effectively. We also saw him on uh, uh, the exact same concept that Shanahan will run. He calls it blazer against Michigan, where he's able to get that deep speed and he's able to execute the same exact play that he can run uh, in Shanahan's offense very, very well. And so it's really easy to envision him as a plug and play component in Shanahan's offense already. Right. And I think when you look at the other side of the coin, right? So uh, looking at things like if you are going to be concerned, what what are those items that you're going to bring up? I think the first thing that you look at is one that can actually kind of go either way. Like I think you can frame this as either a pro or a con for him, depending on on what case you want to make. But uh, he he isn't a guy that is going to like win in a lot of contested catch situations, right? Only had six contested targets this entire 2019 season caught three of them um so he just doesn't have a lot of experience doing it and and he is kind of like more slight frame guy right so he's not the the thickest built guy he doesn't play with like a lot of power it's really more the elusiveness and the speed that's more his game and so uh i i think you could see him you know maybe by some more physical corners like getting bodied a little bit if they can get their hands on him but Again, at the on the other side of that is is he doesn't have a lot of contested catch opportunities because he's getting a ton of separation on his routes, right? So going back to those positives and being a very good route runner, like he's creating a ton of separation in what he's doing. So there's just not a ton of guys that are sticking with him to the point where they can contest it. Um, and then I think another one is more of like a. Uh, just haven't seen it a lot. Um, and so that's always going to give you like a little bit of hesitation, but because he spent a decent amount of time in the slot as well, um, he didn't have a ton of press coverage that he faced when he did get press coverage though. I mean, he basically destroyed it. So you, you feel confident that he has those skills when you kind of piece it together from the other parts of his game. But it, whenever you see somebody that just doesn't have a lot of experience doing it, it's always going to be like a mild concern. So one of the comps that you see often for Judy is Odell Beckham Jr. And Odell Beckham Jr. is similarly plus athlete, a little bit smaller, not super big. Um, but Odell Beckham this year had 30 contested catch opportunities in 2019. Judy had just 29 in his career in its entirety at Alabama. 
So he will have to, just because of the quality of corner, I think, end up with a few more contested catches. And so if you're worried about Judy, that, that's maybe why you're wondering, uh, well, maybe you want to go with someone like CeeDee Lamb, uh, which incidentally, David, I really hope that that was a, a sleight of frame pun that you set up in terms of framing the positive one or the other. Um, I hope that was just like a long play frame pun. Uh, and if not, I'm just going to credit it to you anyway. Yeah, totally intentional yeah. Meant, to, meant to do that for <laughs> sure. Let's let's get the CD Lamb from <laughs> Oklahoma because um, he's an, another player that I, I love it. I, I hate Oklahoma, but I'm never going to not love that. Um, CD Lamb, where he wins, you look at him just as an explosive player after the catch. I, I watched this live. Unfortunately, I saw him rip out the heart of an entire Texas crowd at the Cotton Bowl uh, when Texas was facing Oklahoma. It, it was absurd watching him. There's there's a really funny picture on Twitter. Uh, I forget exactly who tweeted it, but it was basically like CeeDee Lamb scored a touchdown on this play. And there's five Longhorns around him. Looks <laughs> like he's going to get tackled. And he ends up scoring a touchdown. Uh, hit 26 broken tackles this year. We're second most in the country. He is electric after the catch. And this is something that Shanahan really loves. I mean, you think of Dante Pettis, you think of his kind of punt return after the catch ability, Debo Samuel, of course, um, even Jalen Hurd uh, has some of those after the, after the catcher, you know, with the ball in his hands kind of skills. This is exactly the kind of big physical guy that Shanahan could covet. And he really uses those tools well. Yeah. And just, I mean, so uh, just to kind of, put a fine point on that too. the after the catch stuff, 807 yards after the catch over the past two seasons. That is the top mark among draft eligible receivers this year. So um, yeah, the, the after the catch stuff is no joke. I think that is, is a big part of his game. Um, yeah. I think when you've, when you kind of step back though and, and look at what he does, where he's going to win route wise, I think he does bring a little bit more of a vertical element um, to the game, at least as far as, Again, the contested catch stuff, I think he has excellent body control. You know, he's going to be able to go up and like high point passes and, and pluck him out of tough spots. Um, and so I think that's something that maybe he brings a little bit more than than what Judy does, whereas Judy as a vertical threat is going to be speed, right? He's going to win on the downfield stuff just by running by people. Lamb, um, while certainly not slow, um, doesn't have that that quite like the same high end speed that Judy does. So he's going to kind of win again in, in more of the jump ball, like contested catch type situation on the downfield stuff. But I think when you look at the intermediate, you know, underneath game, I mean, Oklahoma, whenever you have a, a receiver, like as talented as, as CD lamb is uh, in college, they're going to use that guy every single possible way that they can. Right. So you're going to see them do things that even you're not likely to see, uh, I think a ton, like once they get to the pro level, I think he was like that and that they would just look for any way on screens and jet sweeps and whatever they could to get the ball in his hand. You know, that was, was something that they were going to look to do offensively. I don't know. You see as much of that. Um, I think he's like an intermediate guy, um, that can really win on those routes. And then again, he's going to, he would fit from what the 49ers like, and that we know that they love that after the catch stuff. They're they're really going to rely on scheming guys open in the intermediate area and trusting that they're going to make things happen after the catch, and I think he definitely brings some of that. Yeah, this is one of those instances where he looks bigger than it seems like he weighs when you look at his when you look at the the listed height and weight. I mean, he's 6'2", so he's, he's a pretty tall dude, yeah. but he's listed at 198. I would have thought he was clocking in at like 205, 210. He, he plays that big and he plays that strong. We watched him immediately after we watched Judy. And the first thing you notice is him like 
breaking a tackle, him keeping a uh, a defensive back off of him and able to get the ball. Things that Judy didn't really need to do often, but didn't really, you know, kind of work through defenders. It was like, I don't need to worry about you because you're you're literally in the dust. Uh, And so Lamb wins a couple different ways. But if you're going to be concerned about someone like uh, CeeDee Lamb, the first thing you're going to have to point out uh, is really that the end zone camera guy gave him no help. Because they were playing, the Oklahoma end zone camera guy is atrocious. That guy's terrible. Oh God! Um, we I mean, like, look, this is what it is in college, and uh, and it sucks. It like I, I think it, it has to come from just like the teams and the coaching staff, but some coaching staffs just really want a long like linger on the offensive line, right? So once the ball is out, rather than panning with the ball and, and going to find uh, the target, like. They just sit there on the offensive line for like a couple of seconds. And by the time that he gets panned over there to the receiver, like the play's over the majority of the time, right? Which like as a guy who doesn't care as much about offensive line play as I do, uh, you know, the stuff that's happening uh, downfield in the passing game. It's just like, come on, man. I can't I can't see everything from the sideline. view. I need that closer up shot from the end zone and you're killing me here. So outside of the drunk Oki manning the end zone cam, you, you mentioned it a little bit. He doesn't have that top end speed. And and I think, I don't know if it's a, as a result of that or something else, but he doesn't do super well on double moves. And, and when you think about some of, the th- some of the things that Judy would do well, the sudden move out of a, a route, going one way, breaking another, I don't know that Lamb was as fluid on those types of routes uh, as someone like Judy was. Um, now, is that necessarily super important? I don't know, but it's definitely something to to consider when you're thinking about his fit within the Shanahan offense. And, and so I think overall, his comparison is often uh, DeAndre Hopkins. And and he's, you know, again, DeAndre Hopkins, again, not a burner, not a super fast guy, but very, very also good pretty football. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not you know, not so a speed, bad player. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, unless you're Bill O'Brien, then, you know, you trade him for... <laughs> peanuts a running back running back shit (laughs) yeah we'll get to those wide receivers later um you know i i think when when you compare the two um they are they are different players but they could both bring something very good to the 49ers and and if either one of them are there at 13 um oh man that's gonna be that's gonna be a hell of a get for the niners yeah absolutely i i I think these two for me at, at least and i think you feel the same way are like they're the clear top tier, right? I know that that sometimes there are some other guys that get lumped in with that. We're going to get to one of them here in just a minute. Um, but but I really think that like Judy and Lamb are kind of in a class of their own. I think they're by far the most complete receivers. Um, both of them have like a, a full body of work at the college level where they have kind of dominated their level of competition there. And, and I think they just have fewer question marks than a lot of guys, you know, that you're going to have at the college level coming up. Let's say that you're the guy who's thinking to himself or gal who's thinking to themselves, hey, the Big 12 has no corners. The Big 12 has no defense. CeeDee Lamb is able to look that good and be that good uh, and run through five Texas defenders on his way to a touchdown uh, because even the best defenses in the Big 12 are not good. So I'm going to take the SEC player over the Big 12 player 10 out of 10 times. What do you tell that person, David? Uh, I mean, I try not to to like overdo it with that kind of stuff with the conference stuff, right? I think you still can see them in situations, um, you know, where they're one on one with somebody, where 
you know, they're in those kind of like isolated situations. You see them when they have tight cover, like even corners that like necessarily aren't even going to play at the NFL level. Um, you know, they're going to end up in tighter coverage on guys sometimes. Right. And so you get some of those snaps there that you can still evaluate them. And, and, you know, if a a defender's in good position when the ball's arriving, like it doesn't really matter at that point, whether he's a top prospect or not. Right. So I think, um, you know, what he can do when he's got a defender nearby and and going up and getting the ball, like that's going to be, I think true kind of regardless of that, but I I think you have to consider it a little bit, right? I think lamb, uh, definitely had a a ton, especially playing in the scheme that they did. I mean, he has one of the best offensive schemes in college football. And, and so there's a ton of stuff where he is just wide open, right? Just like running free through a defense, um, and, and is able to get a ton of yards and production that way. Judy, on the other hand, right, is going to just naturally have more, snaps where he's lining up against guys that are going to be playing in the NFL, right? I mean, he's got a lot more corners in the SEC uh, that are really quality players that are that are going to likely be playing on Sundays one day. So um, I think it helps in the evaluation, but by no means is do you just like stop there and say like, oh, I'm going to take the SEC guy no matter what. Yeah, I think that that paints too broad a brush. I think that you're, there is, to your point, definitely a, a difference in the quality of, of some defenses and or schemes. But there are still good players in the Big 12. There are still good defenders drafted out of the Big 12. Uh, yeah. And when there's a corner within you know six inches of you and you've got to jump up and make a catch, or when you've got to put someone on skates or move around them or move through them, um, that's still an, an athletic individual that you've got to find your way around or through. Uh, and you can still evaluate someone based on on that. I mean, there's there there are successful players that come out of lots of conferences. So, yeah. Uh, so all right, let's get to some of the. Well, there's one more player though that sometimes gets lumped into the top three, and that's one Mr. Henry Ruggs. So the question with Henry Ruggs is, is he in the same tier as Judy or Lamb? I think we'd say ultimately not really, but he's still very good. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I think he's definitely not a bad player, um, but I just don't think that he checks as many boxes for you as those top two guys does. So, right. So I think the thing that he is bringing above all else that is uh, maybe the best at this of, of any single receiver in this draft class is just the pure speed. Um, The dude flies Uh, like it's no joke. That's it's a 40 time that shows up on tape, right? Like that you just see it play after play with him uh, just wrecking angles if he gets into the open field and, and just is never somebody that's going to get caught from behind. So I think that's kind of where you start. He can just absolutely take the top off a of defense and, and is somebody that, um, you know, potentially I think if you're looking at taking him that high, you're hoping that he becomes a, a Tyree kill Deshaun Jackson type deep threat, right? Where he just has speed that is in another class and, and is just able to consistently run by guys even at the NFL level. Now, his big knock is that he's a one-trick pony and that, that he's got his speed element and that's all he's got. I don't think that's a fair assessment of Henry Ruggs at all. Do I think he's as good as Lamb and Judy? No, but he's not just... Uh, I think when we were watching film, I said, hey, look, it's like a better Marquise Goodwin. Uh, it, it's, it's someone who... Not Which just again, has shots. That, I'm going to say, at, I said it then. I'm going to say it, it again. Shots right here at on who? Henry Ruggs. At who? <laughs> at Henry Ruggs. <laughs> so Henry Ruggs has actually some pretty good ball skills. He can go up and get the ball, at least based on the college tape they put on. He's probably got better ball skills than Jerry Judy. And he's got really good hands. Dropped just five passes in his collegiate career. 
And and so I think overall, he he's not just a one-trick pony. He has shown some ability to run routes, but it's not going to be as consistent or as refined as Lamb or Judy. And so I, I, I'm hoping, honestly, that the Raiders end up going with someone like Ruggs, leaving one of the two uh, top two wide receivers for the 49ers. But if the 49ers end up with someone like Ruggs, I still would not be disappointed because I still think he is one of the top three or five best wide receivers in this class. Right. I I think the thing that you want to see with some of the smaller guys that kind of fit that profile, right? Because you have for every, you know, Tyreek Hill and Deshaun Jackson, there's just seemingly a million guys who can run fast in college and then just don't do anything once they get to the NFL level, right? And they just don't have enough pieces in the rest of their game to be able to like be a viable option in a passing game. I think the thing you'd like to see uh, with some of those smaller guys, right, is kind of that toughness and, and like ability to, to like, I guess, just be unafraid to, to go up and be physical and, and kind of stick their nose in things, right? If I think if a guy is like overly avoiding contact and, and doesn't really show much willingness to like go up for passes strongly if, if they do have a contested situation there. Um, you know, aren't really that willing to run over the middle, like any, any of that kind of stuff, I think makes you like a little bit hesitant, but he's a guy that I think really sticks his nose in there maybe more than, than Judy does. Right. Judy is, is definitely like, I'm going to run by you or go around you type of guy. I'm not really too interested in, in trying to go through anyone, but I think Henry Ruggs definitely showed, uh, you know, a little toughness when, when he got the ball underneath and had guys that were more in, in, uh, you know, around him where he had to kind of look to create after the catch, like he would go through some guys, right. And, and kind of get physical. And, and I think he would go, uh, up at the catch point and be physical. And so I think there, those were some things that, yeah, you look to that says that, okay, maybe he can be more than just a pure deep speed guy in the NFL. Yeah. And if you're looking at, uh, again, another player that can slot in and have a defined role already, rugs would do that. He, he would fit in. I think at that point, you've got either a trade or a release from Marquise Goodwin. He would be that deep vertical element that the Niners seemingly do, couldn't put together. Um, I don't know if he would immediately take over the, the kind of other wide receiver role after Debo Samuel, but he would definitely fit that complementary wide receiver core that Shanahan seems to want to put together. Um, and, and so he would definitely have a role. Um, I think any of the wide receivers, whether it be Judy or Lamb or uh, Ruggs, would have a role for the 49ers immediately. Yeah. So if the Niners don't go with one of those, with a wide receiver at 13 though, and they trade down, there are some other options that are available. Again, this is a really deep class and there's lots of talent to be had. So let's talk about some of the options the Niners have for later in the first round. But before we do that, we're going to take just a quick whiskey break. All right, later round options. There are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six or so wide receivers in here that we've got in this group. And we're not going to go in as much detail as we did with the top of the wide receiver class for each one of these, but we'll talk about some of the players that we like some of the players that have been talked about and connected with the 49ers by various folks, uh, what we like, what we don't like and whether or not we think they'll fit. Uh, and, and right at the top is probably let's start with Denzel Mims because he's one that I think uh, he's a fast riser amongst the, the Twitter draft Nick. And he has been talked about, especially if the Niners stick it at 30 uh, or 31 and end up picking a wide receiver there. He's a wide receiver from Baylor. He's a tools guy, 6'3", 207. Um, But when you roll his tape, I don't know that he's someone that would 
necessarily fit exactly what the Niners want. Yeah, so I think the the main thing that you saw from him and, and like the, the biggest way that he would win at college level was, you know, kind of the downfield uh, spectacular catch type stuff or, or just anything where, you know, the, the, I think his body control really stands out, right, on some of the vertical routes. So I think we saw, you know, a ton of back shoulder throws where he just makes the adjustment look so easy and fluid and is able to, you know, get some some really easy catches on a lot of those, but, you know, is able to, if guys are in, in better position and able to challenge it, like he has the body control uh, to be able to go up and, and make some pretty spectacular catches. So I think that's kind of the thing that you point to first is is the biggest positive with his game. But yeah, Look, all, I, I'm, I just all I'm saying is the words Brandon Lloyd may have been uttered at some point in the film session. I'm not right. saying by who, I'm just saying <laughs> they were said. So you get some of those catches, but there's a lot of routine stuff um, that gets dropped. I think there there are some legitimate drop problems there. Let's some passes like more into his body. So if he's not forced by the ball location to have to extend away from his frame to go get it, he has a tendency to just kind of like let it into get into his frame, get into his chest a bit. And, and you see some drops there. And so, I mean, he ended up with, I think, 18 drops over the last two years, nearly 13% of his targeted passes, which is really high. Um, and I, I just don't see like, I mean, there, there's straight line speed that's there. Um, but I don't think you see this, the sort of shiftiness and, and, uh, you know, change of direction ability that you like for guys that are going to be good route runners at the NFL level and be able to gain separation. So I just don't think he checks too many of the 49ers boxes there for receiver. Yeah, we were looking at his his film and, and immediately I was like, he doesn't look like he can move like laterally all that well. Immediately go to, to his tests and find out that, oh, his 20-yard shuttle time was in the 10th percentile and he definitely plays that way. It's one of those instances where he, he does have a lot of physical tools. I mean, he is still top five in terms of his spark score for this year's class. He ends up as like a, almost the two Sigma athlete. Um, and, and so he has overall a good physical profile, a, a little bit, uh, like DK Metcalf, right. Where in the right system and for the right team, that change of direction may not be that big of a deal, right? Because all he has to do is run two or three routes and the quarterback can get it to him. But I don't know that that's the kind of route tree that he can run with the 49ers. Uh, and so I don't know that overall he's going to be a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's just harder to see them utilizing, you know, and again, it's not that he can't go somewhere and, and potentially be a good player, right? I think exactly. a lot of people like him for a good reason. It's just hard to see with what we know about the 49ers offense at this stage and what they have shown that they like. It's hard to see him being a player that's utilized a lot in their offense. All right, now let's get to our next guy, uh, which is Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. Uh, and he's probably one of the players that we watched and thought to ourselves, okay, that guy's actually really good. I could see him carving out a role for the 49ers uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, he was uh, not somebody that I watched a ton of actually during the season. Um, and so was was a player that I didn't know a lot about before we kind of started digging in um, for the for the draft stuff here uh, and was yeah very pleasantly surprised. So I think the, the first thing that stands out with him is he is just incredibly explosive. Like the dude is a threat to take it to the house on basically every snap, every time that he touches the ball. Um, and, and it was just play after play where he would get, I mean, obviously a player like that, you're going to expect them to be used in college on, on a lot of screens, a lot of underneath stuff just to get the ball in their hands and, and let them try to find open space. And it was just play after play when he got those just 
bursting through defenders like before they could get a, even a chance to get a hand on him. And then once he got in the open field, again, kind of like rugs in a way of just like he he has the kind of speed and explosiveness that just screws with pursuit angles, right? Like he just will wreck those angles and you won't be able to catch him. Um, and so, yeah, I think there there is a little bit of a, a Debo Samuel type quality with I think some of the ways that he could be used, but I think he's just a far more explosive athlete. He adds, I think, a bit more of a vertical element than than Debo would in be, being able to like run by guys down the field. Um, but yeah, it was was a very fun player to watch as we were going through. Yeah, his 9.9 yards after the catch per reception led the league amongst draft eligible wide receivers with a minimum of 500 snaps between 2017 and 2019. Uh, and incidentally, Ruggs and Lamb are two and three just after Brandon Ayuk. I think that if you're going to take one one word away from his play, it's explosive. Like the dude yeah. just, he is gone. There were several times where he catches a pass and much like Debo, it's slant or a glance route. And you're like, he's gone. He's literally gone. There's just a little bit of space there and he hits the jets and he is out of there. And he, and he was like, I mean, a more polished route runner than than I really expected to see. So, I mean, there's a lot of those where, again, like the glance routes, which is kind of like a, essentially like a skinny post, right? So if you imagine like a, a lot of teams use it at the college level as like an, an RPO route, right? So it's it's kind of like a long slant and they're going to hit him right out of the break. Um, and he would be able to get enough separation on that corner right at the break to where once he has a step on you, it's over, right? They're just not recovering from that. And so he had a number of plays where he took, you know, what a lot of offenses are going to get is like, okay, this is like a 10, 12 yard completion if we get this and he's ripping off, you know, 30, 40 plus yard gains and, and scoring touchdowns on him. Yeah, he would be, uh, incidentally, Renner from PFF comps him to Pierre Garçon, which is interesting because, of course, we know that Shanahan loves Pierre Garçon. Uh, but I'm curious whether or not Debo Samuel is the wide receiver that Shanahan's trying to put in that mold and, and whether or not someone like Brandon Ayuk would be redundant in that case if he's trying to build a complementary type of core. That'd probably be the only the only other concern I have. But I mean, he he ticks a lot of boxes and he's fast as all holy get out. So, you know, again, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be a bad thing to add to an offense that seemed to at times, especially at the wide receiver position, lack some explosion. Yeah, and, and don't forget that, like, we knew late career Pierre Garçon, you know, with the 49ers, obviously. Uh, when Garçon came out of the draft, he was a freaky athlete, too. The dude dude could fly and, and really run. And so I think, yeah, don't don't think, like, late career, I'm about to retire Pierre Garçon when you're thinking of the type of player that Brandon Ayuk is. It's more of that early career. And I think, uh, yeah, he you can see some of that in in his game for sure. All right, so next up is Justin Jefferson, a player from LSU who played primarily in the slot. Uh, and he's someone who's talked about is in the kind of upper part of that class. But he, you know, we didn't get to see a lot from him other than a free release and an over route and a free release and an over route and a free release and an over route over and over and over again. And while he, he certainly did flash at times and he's got some great ball skills, Man, it's it's really hard to to understand anything from Justin Jefferson other than free release over out uh, and then a money throw from Joe Burrow. Yeah, I mean he has uh, again he has some fantastic catches on on his reel there. Like he has, I, I believe, like in 2019 had the highest contested catch rate of any receiver in this draft class. Um, so he'll go up and, and and pluck that ball out of the air and make some fantastic catches. Uh, but yeah, I think there there are a lot of question marks that I have about him 
uh, and his ability to translate. So I think one, he's a bigger guy that does play primarily in the slot. And like you mentioned, Dad, just a ton of targets where he is just schemed wide open in the middle of the field. He's not, doesn't really have to run much of a route. He's just kind of, you know, running, finding some space in the middle of the field and and then getting a, a throw from Burrow right in a bunch of wide open space there. And so there's a bunch of his production that comes on stuff like that. That's just largely useless when you're trying to project him to the NFL. Um, also didn't see really any press because he's in the slot a lot. Uh, and I don't know, you know, especially for the 49ers and you look at that specific fit, not a team that's really used a big slot type of player, right? Where they're going to send their slot receivers and, and get them involved in the vertical game, which is, I think, something that you would need to do with him. And so, yeah, I, I think when you when you look at some of those things and then the fact that I think there's just so much talent on that LSU offense that he never really, to me at least, like stood out as the best player in that group, right? Like he definitely has some talent and like made some good plays, but there were always other guys in that mix, you know, like like Jamar Chase, who's going to be eligible next year, uh, always seemed to kind of stand out as like the clearly better option there. And so that I think worries me a little bit with him. All right. So we've got a few more to cover, but rather than cover each one of them individually, I'll ask you to choose one. You've got Jalen Rieger, Michael Pittman, and Devin DuVernay. The only reason DuVernay is on there is because I think he's awesome. So if you think <laughs> of uh, other people, like, you know, people that have been mocked to the Niners, uh, Michael, or not mocked, but just kind of good fit, Michael Pittman, uh, and, and Jalen Rieger, who's going to be another player who's thought about at the end of the first round, top of the second. Um, which of those players do you like and why? Uh, so just out of those final three, I would probably say Jalen Rieger. Um to me, he's the guy that has uh, the most ability and like the most upside of that group. Um, I think the thing that's hard with him and, and that makes him a little bit tougher to project uh, is he doesn't have like a ton of production because he has basic. He had like one of the worst quarterback situations in the country while he was at TCU. So just doesn't have a lot of quality targets. Last season, only saw a catchable pass on thirty point seven percent of his targets. 30%. So not even not even one out of three was an accurate throw uh, when he was getting targeted. Only three wide receivers in the entire FBS had a lower rate than that. So uh, it, it's just tough when you get that level of quarterback play and you just don't get a ton of chances to really see what he can do. But I think in the limited uh, like snaps that you do get to see where he does have, you know, some passes where he can do something with it. I think again, the explosiveness is there with him. He's there as a route runner um, has ability after the catch again, as a smaller guy that, that can play a little bit bigger than his size and will go up and we saw him kind of, you know, go up in high points and passes. They would throw uh, actually fades to him, you know, in the end zone, which like as a strategy, not great, but like, Hey, when you see a small guy, like go up over the top of a corner in the end zone, uh, on a fade, like that's something that not a lot of players that size are, are really going to be able to do. So you kind of like to see that. Um, so yeah, I think once you get down into that mix, if he was available, he's somebody that I think does have like upside to potentially be one of the better players in this class. We just haven't got to see it from him a ton. Yeah. The only thing I'll add about Michael Pittman is that if you're someone who likes Denzel Mims, I would say what you really like is Michael Pittman. Because he's the yeah. he's the better version, I think, of Denzel Mims. He's another big dude, six four, two twenty, but he's a better route runner uh, across a multitude of routes and not just on those straight line ones. But he has great hands, catches everything, and knows how to use his body to his advantage. Uh, he has just five career drops on one hundred and seventy one catchable targets overall. 
he's he's going to be the big if you like that big dude mold that's the guy you want not necessarily Denzel Mims both Mims and Michael Pittman were top 10 in their piece in their spark score overall athleticism and explosiveness so both are going to be very very good in that regard uh, it's just Michael Pittman's probably a better wide receiver overall right now yeah. Yeah. um breaking news incidentally on the pod doesn't happen often uh Alden Smith signed a one-year deal with the Cowboys this is not wow. an April Fool's joke at least I don't think it is uh are we sure how sure it, it's uh, well, it's on ESPN, and while once upon a time I did trick ESPN into running, uh, I think a Terrell Owens reverse trade uh, thing on the ticker. Uh, th- this <laughs> th- this does not count. Um, yeah, he hasn't played in the NFL since twenty. 20- yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is legit. Interesting, All super right, yeah. interesting. Uh, okay, working out well, but yeah, I know, right? Um, so overall, what do you do uh, at, at this point? It's pretty clear that. The optimal option, we think, would be for the Niners to get one of Lamb or Judy at 13. But you've got the Raiders at 12 who are going to pick a wide receiver. Um, and, you know, the wide, the teams in front of the Niners, I mean, there are 12 of them. They could get smart and end up going for one of these. They could fall in love with Jerry Judy and say he's a canvas prospect and we're going to go after that and, and go ahead and draft uh, him and then the Raiders draft maybe Lamb and then all of a sudden you're staring at rugs or maybe a trade down or something like that. So what do you, you know, who do you love? What do you want to do here at 13? And if not at 13, then who else? Well, I think one thing to make clear is, you know, as you mentioned that like, yeah, who knows if Judy or Lamb will be available if they stay at 13 and look to pick somebody there. Um, the option that I know 100% that they should not do is look to trade up with their two first round picks to try to go get one of those guys, right? So yep. I think that is th- something that you do have to like throw out completely. Is is just would be, um, you know, not a not a great thing that they can do in this draft where they already don't have a ton of picks, right? There is just too many good receivers in this class. Again, it's it's a historic class. I think you know Renner's got like I want to say like eight or ten. Uh, players, wide receivers in the top top 50 on our big board at PFF. So, I mean, there's a ton of guys that are going to go in round one, round two, even round three. They're going to end up being good quality wide receivers in the NFL. So you don't go out of your way to reach and get somebody. But yeah, I think at 13, if one of those top two options are available for you there, that's absolutely something uh, that I'm looking to do. If those guys are gone, I'm looking to trade out of that spot. And then I'm looking at one of the other options that we talked about kind of later in the first round. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of economists, Richard Thaler and Cade Massey. They, they did some of the early research into kind of what happens when teams trade down versus trade up. They, they put out actually a lot of really interesting things on, on what you should do in the draft and your strategy. And Ben Baldwin has a great article where he kind of summarizes the effectiveness of teams' ability to differentiate players within a talent group, not across a talent group. So this is basically like, okay, you got your top tier receivers. How how sure are we that one is going to be better than the other? Well, not very sure. Overall, a player selected in the NFL draft from 06 to 2018 turned out better, and this is measured by his four-year wins above replacement value, than the next player at his position just 51.6% of the time. That's a coin flip, right? That's within a group. So basically, Judy and Lamb, it's a coin flip which one's going to be better, right? Once you start getting between like Lamb and then like your tier two, tier three, tier four, there's obviously a gap. But when you're looking at players within a group, 
you don't need to necessarily trade up if you have the option to get another player in that same group. And I think that's that's the key lesson here. And that's ultimately what you're talking about. It's don't just trade up to get Judy because you're convinced he's your dude. It's like you you, you understand that Ludy, that Ludy, Jesus, Lamb uh, <laughs> and Judy are are both within a class. They can both be very good. You're, if you're going to get one or the other, just do that. Don't trade up and, and waste that capital and waste those resources. And honestly, I think it, it is something that you worry a little bit about with the 49ers because they have been uh, a group that targets very specific players and, and they're like, this is our guy, right? They don't necessarily look at it as like, okay, we've got a few guys in this group and, and we think we're going to be happy with any one of these guys, right? They think we think they're similar caliber. No, they're going to pick the one guy in that group that they think that they have to have. And then they kind of go out of their way to go make it happen. And so I think I'm sorry, do, uh, we have a we have a call in. It's Joe Williams. He's on the line. Joe Williams, do you have something to say about this? <laughs> Got it. You can't, you know, go. Was it him or was it Bether that they were like, we just can't, you know, leave the draft and I can't sleep tonight if we don't draft this guy right now. I mean, look, the answer I mean, is yes. Can't do it. The answer is yeah, both. Um, <laughs> right. I, I think that's just, you know, something that, that has been kind of a way that they've approached the the way they're building this team, right? Um, and, and so I think it's something that you do have to be a little bit worried about with them here in this draft. Uh, but they have, again, they, they have so many options here. As long as they're looking to address, I think the, the main thing that we're trying to get across is like, this is 100% something they need to address early, right? They need to do this in the first round, likely, Um and it, it, they're just too good of a class and there are too many good options for you to pass up and miss out on getting one of these guys. Yeah, and if it's me, I, I think to myself, okay, looking at what the Niners did, we, we saw the the beginnings of what the Niners offense is building to be in, in a Super Bowl year in 2019. What do we know happens? We know that Shanahan's going to get wide receivers wide open. And so I think running after the catch is important. We also know that we need a, a bit of a deep threat or a speed element that's not going to be a gadget guy, but that's probably going to need to be an every down type of player. I think part of Marquise Goodwin's problem and why he couldn't get on the field, I mean, part of it was injury, right? But the other part is that I, I, I don't think that Shanahan wants to tip his hand by saying, okay, Marquise Goodwin, now you're on the field. And then everyone's like, okay, now we got to watch out for that deep threat. And, right. and so I think that the, it's the other wide receiver other than Debo Samuel that's going to need some kind of a deep threat um, or a vertical threat for the 49ers offense to really begin to unlock and really see if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be in a, in a really low average depth of the target because it's Jimmy or because, you know, the offense is, is designed that way and is holding him back. So those are the two things that I'm looking at. And and based on that, I think you look at Brandon Ayuk, ticks both those boxes right away. Yeah. Um, and I think if you want more of the big bodied type of player, then I think Michael Pittman makes a lot of sense. Um, similarly, I don't know that Justin Jefferson, um, or even like Devin Duvernay, as much as I love him, are going to be in that mold. I think they're more slot guys. Um, I, I don't know that I like Denzel, Mim- Denzel Mims, just movement skills. So yeah. that's probably where I end up landing. Um, at the same time, I-, I wouldn't be mad if they ended up with rugs at 13. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if that's what you ultimately decide to do and you don't feel like... If you feel like there's a, a significant enough drop-off from rugs to the rest of this group that we've been talking about and you don't you know, feel necessarily comfortable with moving out of 13 and, and either hoping that he falls a little bit further and you get him you know, down in the teens or the 20s or if you, uh, you know, don't want to go with one of these other guys and, and you take him there, I think that's fine, right? I don't, I don't think it's some like 
incredible reach that you're just like putting yourself in a bad position and making a big mistake. Right. So I think if they were to take him there, that would absolutely be fine. And then you just, I think at that point, the, the thing that you hope for is that they're going to take advantage of that deep threat ability, right. Which has just not been a huge part of their offense to this point. Yeah. It's one of those things overall though, where the Niners are really in a great spot that, that trade with that trade that got them the 13th pick really unlocked and opened a lot. It was such a smart, shrewd move. And and it puts them in a position to capitalize on a really deep wide receiver class where they could come out with another serious offensive weapon. And and while the, the 49ers playbook is voluminous and their route tree is wide, you know, players like Debo Samuel have proved that you can do that you can perform in year one with the Niners. If indeed you know, you put some work to it, and so that's that's the thing we can't figure out is like what's happening kind of between the ears with these wide receivers. But in, in terms of skill set and what they've done on film, it's a great year to be looking for a wide receiver. The Niners need one, and and I think they can definitely uh, they they can and should address that need in the first round. Right, I, I think we just we saw how much better their offense got once they added Emmanuel Sanders, right, and had another option on the outside to complement. Debo Samuel and George Kittle, right? And, and everything that they're doing there. And then, of course, like all the backs and stuff that they get out um, of them in the passing game. But they, they need somebody else out wide, right? And yes, you do have players that you've added that are young at that position. And I think they, uh, you know, we've seen with them, we did, they, they did this at cornerback, that they're going to kind of stick with some of those guys and see if they can develop. But when you have a chance to add, you know, potentially a, a top tier type player at that position that just can have such a significant impact for your offense and your ability to, uh, you know, really go up against some of the better defenses, right? I think that's kind of the thing that you, the reason you want to add one of these guys, add a guy that can separate. We talk so much about how great Shanahan's scheme is and that he's going to get guys open and that might kind of lead you to say like, well, why do we need to invest a lot in this position, right? Why don't we just kind of stick whoever out there and we're going to trust Shanahan's going to get him open play after play. That'll work against a lot of teams and a lot of defenses, but once you get playoff time and once you get up against some of the better defenses in the league, they're going to be a little bit better about that stuff, right? Those windows are going to shrink um, and, and guys, you're going to need guys that can get open and can get a little bit of separation so that Jimmy can feel comfortable throwing it to him. All right, so you've got to pick one, CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy at 13 which one do you end up taking judy yeah absolutely yeah um i wouldn't be mad at at cd lamb and i would still be very excited about that because the thing that excites me about adding lamb is now you've got george kittle imagine george kittle teaching cd lamb how to initiate contact and how to body people after the catch already more so than cd lamb does so right now (laughs) And you add those two players on the field at one time, in addition to Debo Samuel, who's already going to run through people. Um, and, and it's just like, yeah, come and get us. Like, you're I mean, not going. I don't want to sell. I, I feel like we're maybe selling Judy a little bit short here as far as the after the catch stuff. So I mentioned over the last two seasons, Lamb is number one among receivers in this draft class yards after the catch. Judy's number three. So like it's there, right? It looks different from Jerry Judy um, than it does with CeeDee Lamb. But it's definitely there. He's he's got a ton of ability, um, and he's just I, I think far and away though the best route runner in this class. Like I don't think it's especially close, and I think that's something that we know Shanahan's gonna love. And it's just again something there that's it's nice to have a weapon. We we talked so much during the season about how they just got into this 
pattern where on third downs in key situations, it was just George Kittle and nobody else, right? There was nobody else that they could trust to get open in those situations, kind of no matter what was going on, right? If you can add somebody like Judy who who can be another threat in those type of situations that like, hey, even if we've got their best cornerback on him, like this is a guy that we think can still get open in that matchup, right? Like that's the type of player that I think Judy can can be. And like that's something that is always going to be very important. All I'm saying is you're never you're not gonna lose with either one. Both are gonna be exciting, totally. both are gonna be awesome. Uh and and if the board ends up falling that way, um, in in what I'm sure is going to be a virtual NFL draft, uh, because they understand the risks, um, then it will be a fantastic get for the 49ers. So I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. Next week we're gonna tackle other positions that the Niners could tackle in the first round. Uh, probably not going to sound as excited about that one, uh, but it'll be equally <laughs> as important uh, because they, they do have flexibility and options, especially if teams ahead of them get smart at 13 and they end up going with something like a corner or a tackle. So tune in next week for a continuation of the draft preview pods, but you can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.